Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in today. And today I'm joined by Kane Sampson. Kane, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Grayson. And Kane's here today to share his testimony with us. Kane, just start out telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. All right. So I'm Kane Sampson, as Grayson stated, and I'm from East Orange, New Jersey. I grew up in a single-parent home. My mom raised me along with my grandparents, uh, her father and mother, and four uncles. Basically, yeah, they raised me, uh, taught me a lot of good things about life and all this other stuff, about the importance of keeping my grades and all this other stuff. Um, On the side of that, my father's mother stayed not too far from us, and uh, she was the church-going one. And my grandma, my, my dad's mother, had me in church all the time. I mean, she had choir rehearsal. I was there with her sitting in there. Sunday school, I was there. It was like she had keys to the church and she had me in church at all times. But uh, growing up, I could say in the early part of my life, I had a nice, decent childhood. Um, We stayed in a nice um, area in East Orange, New Jersey. And uh, everything was all good too, basically around my teenage years. That's when the transition started for me. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kane. And I can't imagine what it's like growing up in a single-parent home. Uh, So what was that like for you? Um, Growing up in a single-parent home, to me, um, I guess it became a little, became normal. Um, I was the only kid. Um, I had four cousins, and we were close, so they was always around. So it was almost like I had other siblings. My dad, he would often you know, pop in here and there whenever he could from Virginia or if he uh, wasn't incarcerated or something like that, he would pop in and out. And we spent a lot of time together, too, um, when he was around. But other than that, my mom played both roles. She played my mother and she played my father. Sometimes she played my siblings. And, you know, she was more than just my mom. She was like my best friend. And again, I had my grandmother who was the outgoing church woman, the godly woman. And uh, she was feeling for my dad at times and stuff like that. Right. You mentioned uh, your grandmother was a godly woman. Did you happen to go to church with her at all, or uh, was church a part of your early years? I went to church with her in my early years. Um, I'd probably say that stopped when I was probably around eight or nine, probably no, a little bit before that. It probably stopped when I was around six. Um, she moved to Phoenix, Arizona, and she moved out to Phoenix, and probably that was like the end of church for me. But we would talk every weekend. I would do the long distance thing and I would call her every weekend. And with every conversation we had, we always talked about my grades because I was an honor roll student, keeping my grades up, um, staying in school, uh, not getting in any trouble and stuff like that. And uh, basically, she would always bring God into the conversations. Um, She would reward me with things at that time, like games and things of that nature. But she would always, her way of keeping me with God was, I'm going to send you this money for the games, but make sure you get some new church clothes or some shoes right. to go to church and um i tell her yeah and I, I basically never made it but every time we ended the conversation it was more so like you know i love you um jesus loves you and we still do that to this day so you know she kept that going and that seed that was planted thank you for sharing that story it sounds like uh fond memories also a great foundation maybe looking back on it of uh your early days and faith entering your life, but you mentioned your teenage years was kind of a transition period for you. So do you want to share about that? 
Yeah, so my teenage years, um, probably in, I'm sounding old, but 1996, um, basically my mom, she was young um, when she had me. I think she was like 21 or something like that. But uh, basically my mom was still living her life, you know. I had two grandparents, four uncles at the house who I was constantly with, if not my aunt and my cousins. And my mom was into the going out and clubbing and the nightlife and things of that nature. And my mom started dating, um, I guess, hustlers, nothing but hustlers and drug dealers and things of that nature. So, you know, I I grew up looking up to these type of people. And in 1997, uh, we basically moved from a nice, you could say, suburban area to a more area that basically um, it exposed me to more things where you had to worry about just walking outside compared to where I was at. And you could just rob bikes. Don't have to worry about nobody trying to steal your bicycle or nobody trying to pick on you, have to defend yourself. But in 97, um, they moved to that other area, the south side of East Orange. Um, my mother boyfriend was one of the biggest drug dealers in uh, North New Jersey at the time. And uh, basically, things just changed. I was exposed to the drug dealer lifestyle. And I began to idolize that. And it affected my schoolwork, my grades. And just my life period, um, you know, just I would go over sometimes to New York and with them and pick up drugs and I'd be the one to get it and then bring it back. So after a while, it was almost like I adapted to that lifestyle and my environment. That sounds like a drastic change for somebody. Uh, So what I mean, you shared a little bit about it, but, you know, how did that impact you? Personally, other than the obvious, you know, mm-hmm. like it just it sounds like a huge culture shock. It definitely was a huge culture shock. I guess I, I, I embraced it because I idolized my stepfather so much. You know, I never put nobody above my real dad. But having that male figure present in my house and seeing him, seeing what he was doing, how he was taking care of bills, seeing the respect that he had in the neighborhood. It was something that I wanted because at this time in my neighborhood, um, gangs just hit and everything like that. So I could walk out and I could see Bloods and Crips and I could see uh, heroin addicts and cocaine addicts right out in front of me. And, you know, I could see my stepfather with the fancy cars coming in, bringing in all this money and, you know, just all the drugs and money and things in the house. And as I seen that, it was like my mentality shift, like this is what I want to do. I want this respect or I want this lifestyle, you know, the flashiness, the girls and uh, all the money, the respect from other people in my neighborhood. And I just took that on. And it was times when he got locked up. I was a 13 year old kid um, (laughs) hustling in sixth, seventh grade, uh, selling weed to basically help my mom pay the rent and stuff like that. So it was just different. Um, My mom was trying to work two jobs at that time. I had another little brother who was just born. In 97, and it was like I basically became a man at 13, but not in all senses, but I had to step up to the plate in a way. That just, I can't even imagine that. I'm thinking about me at 13. I was a little more <laughs> uh, sheltered, maybe, so to speak. I remember in middle school, somebody getting uh, busted or suspended for pretending to bring weed. I'm like, weed? <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, you know, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. what is, you know? So, uh, and you know, as you get more into high school, you become aware of things, but not firsthand, like you're saying, mm-hmm. as far as on the streets. So how long did this lifestyle, so to speak, how long did that last? Or, um, you know, what did that lead to further things? It lasted for a while. 
it lasted for a while. Uh, basically, it lasted until I started selling drugs when I was in the sixth grade. So I was around 12 or 13. Um, it lasted till my 22nd birthday. Um, basically, I caught my first offense on my 22nd birthday in 2008. And I guess it lasted so long because before I would always set, well, one, I know it was God and his timing. Um, I know he had his hand on me for a while, but I, I always looked at it as setting quotas for myself. Like I needed this amount of money, then I would stop. So during those times, you know, I went to college, then I would quit. And then I survived off the money I made for a little bit. Then when things got low, times got hard, then I would always get back into it. Then after I did that, I would stop. And then during those times, I had jobs too. I worked um, retail um, for Gap. I worked at Target and I worked at like Victoria's Secret for a day. That was too much for me in the stock room. I couldn't do it. But I was setting goals for myself and basically that was it. But on my 22nd birthday, it was more of a, um, I had my first son in 2006. My grandfather passed, my mother's father. And he was like one of the main ones that kept me on a positive route. He owned his own businesses in the neighborhoods and stuff like that. And whenever something popped up, I can go talk to him. Or if I needed something, he'd say, come work with me or come work at the thrift shop and stuff like that. So he was the positive. But when I lost him and I had my son, um, probably like three days right after that, uh, things started to change. And everybody said when he passed, my mental state shifted. And um, yeah, I guess the luck just ran out. And, you know, the day on my 22nd birthday of 2008, I just heard a voice as the cops was coming, said, don't run loud voice, don't run. And when the cops jumped out their vehicles, uh, guns drawn, they probably looked at me like, why didn't I run? Because they used to people running in my neighborhood. But I just heard something say, don't run. It was an audible voice. And I knew exactly what it meant when they put me in a van. Um, I've been running my whole life from looking for love or, you know, the father figure or the acceptance or just trying to be the man in my neighborhood. But I knew exactly what that voice meant that day. So would you say that maybe that's the first, I know you mentioned your grandmother took you to church some and talked to you about Jesus, but maybe that's the first time you really felt God speaking to you personally or directly that day that you got arrested and he was telling you, don't run. Um, I say that's the second time, because uh, prior to my arrest in 2008, on my birthday in January, I was down here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, I was basically bringing drugs from New Jersey all the way to Harrisonburg and stuff like that. And I was doing that for about two summers um, from 2006 to 2008. And right around 2007, I think it was November, I had a girlfriend at that time and her aunt's husband was a pastor and I started attending Bible studies. And one night he approached me and said, um, what you about to do? He said, I don't know you from a can of paint, but what you about to do? The Lord spoke to me and told me to come out here and tell you not to do it. And basically, you need to clean up your act and stop doing what you're doing. And I started attending Bible studies, and I actually quit from that day to, like, December and January. I actually picked up drugs the day before my birthday because um, I got into altercation where I lost all the little bit of money I had and stuff like that. And I picked it up that day, and that's when I got caught, when I got back into it. So I said that's the second time I think that God actually spoke, but it was more clear to me this time, like, you got my attention. Well, uh, one of the things that I 
heard as you were saying, you know, God can speak to us in different ways. He can speak to us directly. Dad always said it's not audible, but it's louder than that, kind of mm-hmm. like when he told you not to run. But he can also use other people in our lives to speak mm-hmm. to us. You know, really, there was a guy speaking to you, but it was really the Lord speaking through him to you mm-hmm. that day when he uh, was telling you, whatever you're going to do, don't do it. So, uh, you know, you mentioned you got arrested. So what happened after that? Um, after my arrest, uh, basically, I got arrested. Everybody thought, you know, I was coming home because this is the first offense I ever had in my life. And usually off your first offense, you get something, they call it PTI in New Jersey. It's like a, a period of six months. And then if you abide by the rules of your probation, they expunge your record or basically being, if that didn't happen, I would just get probation and I would come home. And I kept telling everybody I wasn't coming home. I wasn't coming home. I just had this this feeling that it was it was a waiting period for me. And I kept telling people that, this is my well experience. I was going to be in this well for three years because that's the only number I could think of was three. And um, I just kept telling everybody in the cells and everybody at home that I'm in here for a reason. And as I began to be in there, uh, my dad, you know, he did a little bit of county bids and things of that nature in prison time before. He just told me, look, now that you in here, I want you to pray. Don't hang out with none of the young guys. Hang out with the older guys. Stay in your Bible. Go to all the church groups and everything like that. And that was probably the first time I really took my dad advice and I appreciated it a lot and I cherished that advice. And that's exactly what I did. I stayed to myself, uh, found some older guys to hang out with that was in a word, uh, found the church groups and everything like that, started attending. And some of the correctional officers, because they wouldn't allow us to have Bibles in the prison, uh, would print off uh, sheets of John and he would bring them into me at night. And he's like, I just want to get you believing. And I would read that and then I start hungering for more. And then they moved me to a different pod, and then I got a different cellmate, and I woke up one morning, and this guy, I didn't even know him from nowhere, he said, I thought he was crazy, because he was in a crazy pod. And um, yeah. they put him in my cell, and when I woke up in the morning, every center block of that cell had scriptures on it. Wow. And he said, God put me here for a reason, and I need you to memorize a scripture a day. Pick one off of the wall and memorize it a day. And uh, I began to do that. Then God moved him out. And then another guy with blisters came in. And I'm like, man, I just read about Job, and now he sends this guy in. <laughs> and, um, you know, this guy was, he had a reputation for uh, being violent with people. But he was a huge guy, too. Very, very muscular. And uh, I noticed he had a Bible when he pulled it out. And I asked him, can I read it? And he allowed me to read it. And then he began to show me some of his uh, degrees and stuff like that that he had on the streets. Um, as he was trying to change his life around. Mm-hmm. And he actually left me with that Bible, and I seen him. And after he left, I got moved again, and then I met this other guy, and uh, they called him Jesus. He walked around with, like, <laughs> his shirt around his head and sandals with no socks. And he began to pour into me. And um, that's what it began to be. Prison began to be a place of how I view it as preparation. Um, it allowed me to examine everything that I was doing before the incarceration and take a look at my life then and it put me in a different place once I consider myself being in that well. Right. Well, you mentioned uh, that you were in there three years and that God kind of spoke that to you. You said that number was in your head and you kept telling people. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can all throughout, seems like God had his hand in all of it, all the different Mm -hmm. people that were in the cell with you, 
from the scriptures, one man that had a Bible, the other man that put scriptures all over the cell, that he really used that time. Beauty from Ashes, that was I, that song came into my mind. You know, Or maybe even the enemy might have meant it for evil, but God used it for good. So uh, those are some of the things that come to my mind. Anything else that you'd like to share about your time in prison? I guess, you know, like, I, like when I go to my time in prison, like you said, God definitely had his hand on it. You know, what the enemy meant for evil, God definitely meant for good. Um, until this day, my oldest son is 13. I always tell him I don't regret that period because if I didn't go there, I would have never known Jesus and developed that personal relationship to how I know him now. I probably wouldn't even be here. I'd probably still be in New Jersey. Or who knows how God could have orchestrated things. It could have been different and it could have been worse. But I know he won't give us more than we could bear. But, you know, those three years, I always tell people I don't regret it and I never take it back. I appreciated those three years where uh, God allowed people to pour into me and he also allowed me to grow in those three years. Those three years only felt like a year once I got in there. So, and it's, it's a different environment too. He allowed me to, to witness like the worship and stuff like that that goes on behind those walls. Um, the actual, the way that, you know, he saves people in that point, you know, seeing different people, some of people that's like feared on the streets. But when you see them in there, you see them coming to Christ and on their knees and things of that nature and going home. And, you know, he allowed me to come home and see some of those people, too. And they still walk in the walk. So it's like I don't regret those three that I, you know, that I did. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that, Kane. And after you got released, what next? What happened after that? Once I got released, I told God <laughs> upon my release, I'm not going back to that lifestyle. Make you this promise. Uh, <laughs> and basically, I came home for a while. I was with my mom. Uh, things was extra hard uh, when you come home with a felony. So I came home. I had a job at first, temp agency. Then that temp agency closed and looking for jobs. With that felony over my head made things, you know, very difficult about who's going to hire you with a felony on your record. And I stayed with my mom. Um, then after that, I just began to get bored. Like, I, I got to get away from Jersey because even though I wasn't working and I was looking for work, I mean, danger or anything could just find you walking down the street. So I, I wanted to remove myself from that environment. And I went down to live with my grandmother, my father's dad in North Carolina. Started off good, still unable to find work. Then from there, ran into a cousin that was still in that hustler's game. And, you know, he knew my reputation and I knew his. And we thought, oh, we might as well just team this thing up. And I got back into it, not as much, but still being around it. And, uh, I found myself getting into that, and I said, I need to get away from this. So I came back to Harrisonburg, still doing the same thing, being around the same people. And then I was more paranoid than anything. Every time I would try to go out and make a sale or do something, I would just lose stuff. Like, I don't know where it's at. I would just lose it. And one day I lost it, and I said, all right, God, I made you a promise that I wasn't going to do this no more. And you've shown me grace this far. You haven't allowed me to get caught and go back in. So I need to live up to my promise. And um, I gave it up right then and there. And I began looking and looking. And my uncle out here found me a job. And I was I started working 12-hour shifts at Grand Packaging. And after that, I uh, met Lauren, who's my wife now. And, you know, that's been that. And after that, um, 
I guess, you know, the rest is history. We got married and I met Pastor Kerry and uh, start attending First Church. And after that, we was in Highland County. We moved to Norfolk, then we moved back to Highland County. And um, since then, uh, God has opened doors tremendously and also allowed my record to be completely expunged. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that. And when was that date that you finally, you know, you felt God telling you, you need to not do this anymore, and that you surrendered all that to God and completely uh, changed your life around? Uh, I believe that was in October of 2011. Um, yeah, it was about October of 2011. Probably a little, let me see, probably a month or two before October. It was around that time, no, October, a month or two before that. That guy said that because I was working at that time, and, and I just remember it vividly, walking down the street. Every time I passed down that street, driving now, I, I purposely passed down because I like to use it as a, like a remembrance type thing, like, I remember that day, right then and there, God was like, I, I, well, I told God, I remember that promise. And since then, I learned, too, not to make too many promises. Like, you know, promises, it's almost like being a fortune teller. You never know what the future holds. But I learned not to try to make too many promises to God because it's, like, hard to keep them things. But just be a man of my word more so than making him a promise. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kane. And you mentioned you met your wife, Lauren. How did you guys meet? Okay, so um, I was working at Grand Packaging, and basically they had a night where they were just asking people to go home, and I was doing all them 12-hour shifts, so anytime they asked somebody to go home, I was the first to raise my hand, like, let me out of here. So one day I decided to go out, wanted to hear some music, and I knew where everybody else I grew up with in the neighborhood goes to hang, the bars and the clubs, so I just decided I wanted to go somewhere and not be around that crowd anymore. And um, I went to like a different little place. It's called Beyond. It's like a restaurant, club at night slash bar thing. And um, I walked in there just trying to, I guess, get away from my uncle and stuff like that just to be out. And um, basically, yeah, I met my wife that way. And after that, we started hanging out and talking. And she began to tell me the kind of man she prayed for. And I fit the description. (laughs) She was like, God sent her a message. And um, I fit the description, and, you know, I guess she fit my description. And uh, God kept us together through all this, and we just, we've just we been here. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, would you like to share about uh, how God's using you now and uh, what He's up to now in your life? Right now, you know, I got to say right now, God is definitely using me. I've been blessed to have the opportunity to work with kids um, back where I live up in Highland County. He's been using me to go to, you know, different churches and preach. Also go inside the prison walls and preach. I've been out a lot in the community in Harrisonburg with the homeless people out there just having fellowship, uh, breaking bread, getting to know them, building relationships. I've been also been able to preach on the radio, um, Allegheny Mountain Radio up in Highland County on certain Sundays. I get the allow God to flow through me across the airways and stuff like that. And lately I've been like, with our business, we've been able to, uh, with photographs, we photograph a lot of leagues and a lot of leagues that we photograph lately, we've been noticing a lot of them been having like kids with cancer. Um, And we noticed like, it's a sad thing. We've been able to meet some of these kids at the hospitals and drop off a picture that they didn't see and you know get the chance to pray with them 
praying for a lot of sick people too. Just been getting a lot of house calls. So we've been in high lunges, going from place to place, home to home, um, praying for people's parents or just praying for close friends that's been sick. And yeah, he's just been moving. He's been providing a lot of opportunities and I'm, I'm grateful, you know, just to see where I came from and being able to share with people like how he brought me out of my Egypt and things of that nature. And also just tell people, you know, to be reminded of where I was at to how far he's brought me, you know. So, yeah, he's moving. Well, uh, amen, Cain. I only knew you since you've been saved and since you've (laughs) come to the Lord, but uh, you've been a brother to me, you know, brother in Christ, and I appreciate that and thank you for that. And uh, I just, I wasn't aware of, I knew you guys had a photography business, but wasn't aware of the doors that God's opened for you to minister Mm -hmm. to kids uh, who have been sick with cancer in the hospital and be able to pray with them and bless them. So, uh, Sounds like uh, God's doing a great work in you, and I know you're taking classes to become an ordained pastor, mm-hmm. if you want to share anything about that. Yeah, um, here at the you know at the church, First Church in the Nazarene, um, Harrisonburg, um, taking classes to become, I always say wherever God wants me to be, uh, whether that's a pastor or whether that's an evangelist, and I really believe my heart is in evangelism. Um, just seeing the way God uses me to bounce from place to place. Right. You know, if he says, go, I need you here on these streets. I'm in the streets. I need you at this home. I'm in a home. Um, I need you in these prison walls. I'm in those prison walls. Right. Um, so I think, you know, that's the calling that God has on my life. And I'm here in church and learning. got to get back into my studies and stuff like that. Just with all the opportunities, I've just been weighing options and seeing where he's leading me. Because he also, I forgot the thing that he opened too, far as like the uh, character coaching right. at EMU. But life has been happening and little trials and tribulations always popping up. And when I see that, I see it's uh, the enemy at work trying to throw mm-hmm. me off course. But, you know, I'm definitely putting my head back on and, you know, uh, remaining on the course, staying in the race and enduring through all these things and just counting the joy. But, you know, being in school has definitely opened my eyes to a lot of things. So, yeah, I'm definitely glad to be a part of that. Well, and as you were talking about being an evangelist on the streets to people and ministering to people in the prisons, it sounds like God's really given you a heart to minister in the places, you know, formally, you know, you spent time in prison mm-hmm. and that's where God met you mm-hmm. and uh in your uh, previous life, so to speak, you spent a lot of time on the streets. Well, God's kind of redeeming that. He's restoring what the locusts have eaten, so to speak. Mm. So uh, that's a neat story. And uh, just anything else that you'd like to share about your family or your life that I haven't asked you already or that you haven't mentioned already that you would like to share? You know, as far as family, like I said, little trials, tribulations popping up, like even a day just, you know, being here. Uh, but I had to make this work, you know what I mean? Come for the brother Grayson. Um, but like, you know, the little one last night split his nose open and in and out of it. But, you know, God had his hand on him and he's at the hospital today getting stitched up again. But I'm just counting that joy still too. But we have the new one coming, a new addition to the family. You know, when we first attended this church, it was just me and Lauren. And then we was able to grow here. And then it was me, Lauren and Canaan. And then two years after that, we got Little Haven. And now we got Little Asa. 
um, on the way in May. So, you know, the family is doing great. God is continuing to keep his hands on us and bless us and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it with the fam. And I'm just keeping my ears open to where God wants to use me. And like you said, Mm -hmm. it's back in the prisons, it's back on the streets. It's more so just those places where it seems like there's no hope. The places sometimes where people fear to, to walk into. I want to be able to be that voice in the wilderness, like right. that John just calling out right. to him and then sharing my testimony with him. Like, I don't know everything you've been through. I can't fit in your shoes, but let me just tell you where I've been and where God, you know, where he redeemed me from. Let me just tell you a little bit of my story and then listen to you. Um, that's something I learned going into the prison ministry. One of the guys, they're big on his listen, listen, love, love, listen more than you talk and then love on them. So, you know, that's just where I'm at right now. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kane. And uh, I hear surrender in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're surrendering your will for God's will and letting him use you as, like you said, that voice in the wilderness or the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you for taking time out of your day, and uh, I pray continued healing over Little Haven after his fall, and uh, thank you for joining me today and sharing your testimony. It's been a blessing to me to hear it. It's always a blessing, you know, to be here and to share that, so anytime, Greg. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that Kane Sampson's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.